You're listening to the Sound Girls podcast. Today's episode features an interview with Shalini Agarval. Shalini is a production sound mixer and sound designer based in Toronto with over 15 years of experience on a wide range of projects in India and Canada. She has worked on films helmed by acclaimed directors such as Danny Boyle, Ang Lee, John Madden, Brad Bird, Angelina Jolie, and Mira Nair. First They Killed My Father, After the Wedding, Jobs, The Reluctant Fundamentalist, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, Highway, and Phobia are some of the feature films for which Shalini has recorded sync sound. Shalini studied sound at the Film and Television Institute of India, Pune. She then assisted eminent sound mixers such as Razul Pukuti and Drew Koonin on notable films like Slumdog Millionaire, The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, Life of Pi, and Eat, Pray, Love. Shalini is a member of the International Association of Women in Radio and Television and has conducted sound workshops at the 14th Asian Women's Film Festival 2018. She was also selected for the Berlinale Talent Sound Studio program at the Berlin International Film Festival 2019. She has recently finished recording sound for The Kings of Napa, an upcoming Warner Brothers and Oprah Winfrey network show. Shalini is also a singer-songwriter, plays a guitar, and produces electronic music in her free time. She plans to release an EP of original music next year. Shalini. Yes. Thank you for being here today. Welcome to this room, <laughs> this computer room we're in. <laughs> Welcome to our virtual room. Thank you, uh, guys. It's it's super exciting. Well, let's um let's rewind. Let's go a little back in time. Maybe you could tell us a bit about how you got into audio in the very first place. How did that interest develop? Well, for me, it's been a slow, organic process. And looking back, I think it all began with music. And even though music and sound are quite different professionally, the one thing they have in common is listening, you know, listening deeply and listening with attention. So growing up, I took music lessons. Also, my parents are really fond of music. Uh, my dad, especially, is a huge fan of the Beatles. Yeah. So <laughs> I think music really developed my sense of listening. And I figured that I was more of an orally inclined person. Um, apart from that, I've always had a technical bent of mind. I'm someone who's inquisitive and excited about technology, never really overwhelmed by it. And when something breaks down, I love troubleshooting and fixing the problem. So I think it's this technical side of me that led me to choose science as a major in high school. But at the same time, there's another side to me that's creative. I have a deep love for stories and characters and you know, the worlds they inhabit and the conflicts they face and try to overcome and the transformations uh, they undergo in the process. So that is what led me to choose uh, English literature in college instead of studying engineering after school. And basically, I realized early on that there were these two aspects of my personality, the technical as well as the artistic. And that's probably why I gravitated towards film sound, because I think for me, it's a great amalgamation of science and art. Mm -hmm. And also as, as a musician, both of these sides come into play into music as well. As a singer-songwriter, I tap into my storytelling artistic side 
And I also produce music on uh, Logic, Ableton, and Pro Tools. So, uh, yeah, I guess that utilizes my left tech brain. <laughs> wow. Always starts with the Beatles. <laughs> with the parents. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Come on. <laughs> so how then did everything sort of lead to the career side of things? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, in my final year of college, around 2005, I was trying to decide what I was going to do next. And at first, I seriously thought of getting into live sound because I would attend a lot of concerts in college and I was always fascinated by what the live sound engineers were doing and really in awe of those big mixing consoles. <laughs> so I started looking up uh, courses for sound. And when I came across the film sound program at the FTII um, or the Film and Television Institute of India, which is India's National Film School, you know, it felt perfect for an introverted and orally inclined person like me who was who is coming from a science and a literature background. And it just perfectly combined my love for both sound and story. So I applied and luckily my parents, they've always supported me and they've always let me follow my interests and passions. So film school was the starting point of it all. You know, I was I was living away from home for the first time in my life um, with students from across the country and watching the greatest cinema from from across the world on print, like wow. everything from Iranian cinema to French New Wave, Italian New Realism, Russian cinema and the films of Satyajit Ray and Ritwik Khadar. So all these films had a, had a really deep impact on me. And also through the course, I learned the basic uh, techniques of sound recording, like working with Pro Tools. Uh, we were introduced to digital and analog consoles. And for our recording exercises, I think there was a Shure FB31 mixer <laughs> and a Nagra recorder with a couple of Sennheiser shotgun and, and wireless mics. So yeah, all this was a lot of fun. And all these experiences in film school they really equipped me and filled me with awe and respect for great storytelling and craft in cinema. And that's where I really understood the importance of sound and film from both a technical and aesthetic perspective. And I think that's what solidified my desire to pursue it as a career. Super cool. Yeah. That's cool that at that age you put that together. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, it's just, it's been a slow organic process. And there were a lot of things I was doing unknowingly, but just sort of following um, where my, my, my mind and my heart were taking me. Mm. And it sort of just worked out and fell into place. Very cool. Wow. So let's talk about first jobs. <laughs> what happened when you graduated <laughs> and got out into the real world? Yeah, you know, after graduating from film school, I did a lot of bag mixing for documentaries and shorts. And these were mostly indie projects. I really enjoyed working on them because I was traveling all over India, discovering its food and people and stories. India is super diverse. So that was a lot of fun. But at the same time, I was building my own sound bank. And it was great to be part of socially conscious work. So I did that for about a year before moving to Bombay, 
where I started doing more mainstream work. So yeah, fast forward four years from then and cut to 2011. That's when I did my first big uh, feature as a production sound mixer. And that was the India schedule of um, Mission Impossible 4, Ghost Protocol. Wow. Ghost Protocol was your first major thing? Yeah, I know. It sounds crazy for me to say that even um, now, but honestly, it didn't happen overnight. Like It was the result of four years of hardcore training as a sound assistant or a sound utility as it's known here in North America. So rewind back to 2007, I moved to Bombay because I got to know that uh, sound mixer, Rasul Pukuti, who's also a film school senior, he was looking for someone to assist him. So I land in Bombay. It's my first day in the city. I, I drop my bags off at a friend's place and I head straight to set to meet Rasul. At that time, he was working on uh, a big Bollywood musical called Savaria. So I went to set and I entered and like the sheer scale of it all, it just, it struck me. You know, it was like the, I was looking at heavily art directed sets and grand lighting and costumes and, you know, it's just the sheer number of people. That was my first introduction to mainstream um, Hindi cinema, like Big Bad Bollywood. A musical. That is so hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, so I started assisting Rasul. But honestly, it wasn't easy because he's quite the perfectionist and, and a master of his craft. But yeah, working with him, it definitely built a very strong foundation. And it made me quite tough and resilient. And I learned a lot from him. I would consider him to be my first and most important mentor in my journey as a sound mixer. So, so yeah, I work with him on um, many big Bollywood and Hollywood projects. Uh, the one that I'm most proud of uh, is Slumdog Millionaire, for which Rasul won the Oscar for Best Sound Mixing. Oh, amazing. And I was part of his team. I have chills just now. I just get chills because that movie, man, that's amazing. Yeah, it was it was a dream come true for me because I'd seen Danny Boyle's films in um, film school. And just a couple of years after I graduated from film school, I was working with him. So it was it was amazing. Um, so, yeah, that happened. And then uh, I also assisted Rasul on the Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, which was also a tremendous learning experience working with some of the biggest British actors like Judy Dench and Maggie Smith and Tom <laughs> Wilkinson and Bill Nye and uh, watching John Madden direct. That was really amazing. And in fact, at that time, there were a lot of um, Hollywood films shooting in India. And that's how I got to assist Drew Kunin on Eat, Pray, Love and Life of Pi. So... Drew is a, a production sound mixer based in New York, and he's now been nominated for the Oscars thrice. Wow. And he had a very different persona and style as compared to Rasul. Like, he had different gear as well. He was using the Kantar X2, which I'd only heard of and dreamt of working on someday, and I was seeing it for the first time. So that was, that was quite amazing for me. Yeah, working with Drew... Um, only further strengthened my understanding of uh, the technical protocols of 
working on a Hollywood film set, especially uh, with regards to communication. So, yeah, you know, I, I, w- I went through all of this training as a sound assistant. And that's why when I was called to mix the India schedule of Mission Impossible 4, I knew I was, I was prepared. I was well equipped and I was confident. You know, I'd been mentored by the best in the business. Yeah. So I knew I could easily pull it off. And it went really well. The post team wrote to me and they loved the tracks. Wow. In fact, they were quite curious about what kind of mics I was using. Because apart from like the regular stuff, I did a lot of 5.1 recordings with uh, the Holophone mic and also a lot of uh, mid-side recordings. So it's always reassuring and rewarding getting positive feedback from post. Um, So yeah, that was my first uh, big international credit as a sound mixer. And that led to more international projects like uh, The Reluctant Fundamentalist and Jobs and First They Kill My Father and uh, After the Wedding. That's amazing. Wow. Is it common for the Post team to write to you? Have you found that uh, since? Obviously, you got a really nice intro that the Post team kind of shouted you out. Uh, But yeah, does that happen a lot? Well, I sort of make an effort to uh, keep in touch with Post Mm. quite regularly while I'm working on a project. So if I do that, I I keep hearing from them because it's important for me as a production sound mixer to like tweak something if if it helps Post or to give them better tracks. You know, I'm always striving for that. So it's not common, definitely not common for Post to write back to you, but when I heard back from the sound editors for Mission Impossible 4, it was actually I realized how important it was for me to uh, reach out to Post. And and I started doing that more after that. I think that's really important. And I think um, the through line of sound from like kind of production to Post should be consistently communicated. Like we'll all get good sound that way if we're kind of all working for it together. So I think that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was just uh, curious about, I guess, like the learning curve because you had these amazing mentors. Uh, but like, what was it like to be kind of green with them? Like, did you have any kind of bad days where you're like, I don't know what I'm doing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there were hard days. I remember times when I just when I used to break down, you know, I used to go to the bathroom and just cry. Of course, it, it was not easy. And that is part of the learning process, I think. Yeah. You know, just to be ready to take on the toughest situations and to to be hard on your, on yourself uh, of course not kill yourself for anything but push yourself you know and really dig in and see what you're capable of and i think a mentor's job is also to do that like to push you right yeah totally you were saying that he's like a perfectionist and i'm like yeah i could see like in an internship you know position or whatever you know working with someone who's a perfectionist that's going to be rough like some days because you're not there yet. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I'm not ashamed of saying that because it's it's true. Uh, but, you know, like over the past 15 years, I've, I've worked on 26 features and over 100 commercials, about 15 documentaries, 10 short films and, and much more. So like in terms of scale and style, I've really handled everything from small budget indie art house films to big budget mainstream films. So I've really like been through the gamut of all sorts of possibilities. And 
on every project I've dealt with different kinds of scripts and personalities and situations and budgets. Sure. So the one thing I've learned is to adapt very quickly and be a team player. And of course, you know, with more experience, your instincts do become sharper and you become more intuitive as to like what mic to use or how to wire a tricky costume or troubleshoot tech issues or how to handle complex situations safely and quickly. So literally every project I've worked on, it's it's taught me a lot and quite literally taken me places. I mean, the reason I've been able, able to travel the world is because of sound. Yeah. So whether it's recording sound for the Widow of Silence in uh, Dras Jammu, which is considered to be the second coldest inhabited place on earth, <laughs> or in the forests of Cambodia for First They Kill My Father, or by the sea in Croatia, or like in the middle of a river in Hungary for a big Bollywood film, Rapta, or even recording folk musicians in the salt deserts of Rajasthan uh, for The Good Road. All of these experiences and projects have have taught me something very valuable, and I don't think I'll ever stop learning. That's so cool. I keep hearing that. You just never stop learning in audio. It's just, it's an ocean. You can't, you can't yeah. ever get there. Yeah. I have a question for you. Uh, do you have like your own microphone package that you travel with? Yeah, actually I use different gear for different projects and uh, what I use changes as per the need of the project. And, uh, you know, coming from India where most sound mixers rent equipment, I've literally worked with every sort of recorder, microphone, and also various combinations of all of this gear. So uh, like when it comes to recorders, I've, I've worked on everything from a Porter Drive 2000 to all the Diva recorders to every sound devices uh, recorder you can think of and, uh, and also the Kantar X3. As of now, I have uh, my own sound devices, Scorpio, and uh, the Mix Pre 10 too, and I absolutely love them. So yeah, you know, like every project uh, requires a different set of equipment, and my gear keeps changing as, as for the need of the project. So like when it comes to wireless technology, I, I swear by electrosonics. You know, I used to work with the Audio Limited 2020s and the 2040s, and I also love the A10s, but now all my wireless kit is, uh, is electrosonics. I love them because they're sturdy, easy to hide on actors' bodies. The RF venue uh, syncs up with my laptop for frequency scans. They've got a great range, good customer support, and they're constantly updating and making better products. So, um, like, I use Electrosonics a lot. For labs, I use the DPAs. I don't know any sound mixer who, who doesn't love <laughs> the DPA 4060s and the 6060s, right. <laughs> uh, but I also love like the, the Sankin Cos 11s and the Countryman B6, which I think is like the tiniest great sounding mic and it saved my life so many times. <laughs> um, yeah, and when it comes to boom mics, I, I love my CMC 641s. I love the Sheps and, uh, and also the Neumann KMR 81 and 82. I think I've literally used them for every project. Um, and also the Sennheiser MKH series, because like back in India, um, it, it's very humid and like, there's a lot of moisture in the air. So 
uh, Sennheisers were great at handling the humidity. Cool. So yeah, and you know, I have a production sound cart by the sound cart uh, guys in the UK, which I absolutely love. I, I have my own package now. Like I bought an entirely new kit after moving to Canada. So yeah. Um, so like, what's your favorite part? Of your job because I mean it sounds all really exciting but yeah if you could pick a few things I think my job is quite special <laughs> because apart from the the director who's listening to the actor's performance I think I'm the only one who's listening to high fidelity audio of this performance while also watching it on my monitors so I'm literally among the first few people who are watching the film before anyone else and it is a truly special moment to witness a great performance so up close and to be able to hear every little nuance of it. So I feel like I have this unique position where I'm able to hear the film come alive in front of me piece by piece and shot by shot and scene by scene. And I think I've been really fortunate to have worked with some of the best talent in the world through sound. It's been truly inspiring and humbling to work alongside directors like Danny Boyle and Ang Lee and John Madden, Brad Bird, Angelina Jolie, Mira Nair, and Imtiaz Ali. And also some great actors like, you know, Julia Roberts and Ashton Kutcher and Judy Dench and Michelle Williams, Elizabeth Moss and Harvey Keitel. And like some of the biggest Indian actors like Shah Rukh Khan and Deepika Padukone and Ranveer Singh, Rajnikanth, and many more. So it's truly amazing for me to see magic happen when all of this great talent comes together. And that's definitely the favorite part of the job for me. Oh, yeah, sold. Sold. I'm going to become a production <laughs> sound mixer. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's just the coolest. I often think like when I'm watching TV shows and stuff, you know, like with the different sounds and things that I pick up because I don't do this for a living, but I notice sounds. Yeah. And uh, watching The Handmaid's Tale, like Elizabeth Moss to me would be the craziest person to Mike because she has all this expression in like sounds in her voice, you know, like with just a huff or a like or a sigh or a whatever. But like, I'm a huge fan of Handmaid's Tale, even though it freaks me out every time I watch it. <laughs> um, and just the audio in it is phenomenal to me, like because of those little tiny tweaks and things, you know, you hear like every emotion and every little detail. And that's yeah. impressive to me that you guys pick that up. Yeah. I mean, you know, of course it's great performance with uh, good, good miking technique and also, you know, just, just capturing every little thing that, um, it, all of these little nuances in the in the dialogue, and that's all captured on location because it's really difficult to recreate those kind of things in post. What's the craziest thing you've had to mic? That's a super tough question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry, I'm just all curious now. I'm like, oh, let me just throw you something out of left field here. Well, I got this. I got a call one day for um, recording Zubin Mehta who's a classical music conductor, and he was conducting this 80-piece Australian World Orchestra at the NCPA, which is the National Center for Performing Arts in Bombay. 
And uh, so this German filmmaker who's, who's a great friend of mine, Bettina, uh, she called me and she was like, um, hey, you know, we were recording the rehearsal in like three hours. So can you turn up for this? I was like, are you, are you serious? Like 80 piece orchestra and <laughs> you want to record each of these like different sections separately because they wanted to do um, like a proper mix uh, 5.1 mix mm-hmm. of this documentary and like it's 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 a big one for her so I literally like grabbed every microphone I could <laughs> I could rent and um, I'd never recorded a classical orchestra in my life before so yeah I just like got a truckload of equipment and I just <laughs> landed up and uh, luckily I had uh, my boom up and also my assistant Mushtaq he was like super helpful and he's always you know, thinking of great ways of miking stuff and, you know, figuring out new techniques. So we just like experimented. It was just a rehearsal, uh, not the main performance. So yeah, we just like, we just went for it. And with a bit of like tweaking and stuff, we managed to get 24, I think it was 24 inputs finally into my recorder. Like I had two recorders and uh, and we made it happen. That's so cool. So I think that was that was quite challenging, but also a lot of fun. Wow, you're like a trooper. Very brave <laughs> to just like, all right, let's do this thing. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> wow, that's awesome. So wait, I'm actually curious now. Uh, thinking back at when you were working in India, and now you're here in Canada. Uh, here for me, not here for Becky. <laughs> but um, can you tell us a bit about? How was the move from India to Canada and like how did that affect your career? It it's it's a life-changing experience, you know. I mean, moving to a new country is like starting over. It's like uprooting everything you've built until that point and starting from scratch. And if you don't have any connections or family where you're moving to, it's like a leap into the unknown. It's like a huge risk. Back in India, I was I was doing pretty well for myself. You know, I always had enough good projects to choose from. I was pretty comfortable, but I had to get outside of my comfort zone or else I would have stagnated. So I'd been thinking about moving abroad for a while simply because I wanted to do more international work. So yeah, I moved to Canada and I feel like it's completely rewired my brain because Every day has been like a new learning experience. Take, for example, something as basic as weather. And now, of course, it's become second nature. But initially, when I stepped out without checking the weather app, I, I paid the price for it, <laughs> especially, on, especially on a cold day with freezing temperatures and wind chill. And if I was shooting outdoors, like I would be suffering and miserable all day long because I just needed that like what that one extra layer or the right boots and I didn't carry them with me. So yeah, that's like one tiny example of some very basic things have changed for me moving here. Um, but in terms of sound, I think sound is sound everywhere, right? And uh, having worked on nine Hollywood films before moving to Canada, nothing was really new or surprising for me over here in terms of technical protocols or equipment or communication. In fact, I think it's it's way more challenging to record sound in India because it's generally noisier over there. 
and it can get pretty stressful to record good, clean audio. But over here, it's it's way quieter. It's <laughs> way easier, I feel. <laughs> so I don't think much has changed in terms of how I approach sound, but there have been disappointments and difficulties along the way and changes that I've, I've had to adapt to. Like dealing with COVID just two months after I moved and uh, not being able to connect with anyone because everything shut down. Mm. So, yeah, that was pretty tricky. And also my permit mixer application getting rejected by the IATSE local 873. Basically, they asked me to get more training and experience. What? Uh Yeah, and that was honestly shocking. But I guess they just never come across anyone like me, you know, a, a woman who's a person of color and a new immigrant uh, from India with 15 years of experience in sound. It's not enough. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> what do, they, what but, do they want? It's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry you were dealing with all that, especially during COVID. I didn't let it get to me, you know, like I took it in my stride because I think people only believe in you once they see you in action. Mm-hmm. You need to prove yourself, right? And more so as a, as a sound woman. So like as COVID numbers dropped and things started opening up slowly, I started doing shorts and commercials as a mixer. Luckily, there was enough work happening. And uh, I was super excited to get out and mix again after a long break. Soon enough, though, I got a call from Hervik Gear, who is a production sound mixer with the 873 and, and also someone I look up to and consider a mentor. Like he's been super supportive and and super kind. And like, I think he's a real gem of a person. So he called me to work with him uh, as a sound utility on a Disney feature called uh, Spin. And I gladly took it up. I mean, this was a chance for me to work on an 873 show. So I did that. And that led to a few more IATSE shows as a sound utility, like The Handmaid's Tale with Brad Daw and sort of with Daryl Purdy. So all these mixers uh, I was working with, they were really happy with my work and word got around. And I got offered many more projects as a sound utility. But I was also hoping to do more mixing work. So one fine day, I got a call from Effie Papadopoulos, who's a production manager. And she called me and asked me to send in my CV for a new Warner Brothers show called The Kings of Napa for the Oprah Winfrey Network. And yeah, I was I was super thrilled to get a call like that. Um, they were looking for a production sound mixer. But I wasn't really sure if it would work out because I wasn't a mixer member in the union. And like my permit mixer application had been rejected already. So I waited without much hope, and one week later, Effie called again, and she confirmed me on the project. Yay! Story has a happy ending. (laughs) Yay! That's so exciting. It sounds like the work that you've got is through connections that you're making and through networking with other people. Um, Yeah, but, you know, also uh, for someone like Effie and Chris Beal, who's the producer on Kings of Napa, and the creator of the show, uh, Janine Sherman-Baroa, like they'd never worked with me before. And uh, 
I think I really owe it to them to really believe in me and root for me and, you know, take a chance on me. I really think like women need to support each other and work together. Yeah, definitely. This would be my first big union show as a mixer in Canada. And like I got right down to it because I didn't have too much time to prep, but I definitely had a lot of clarity on how to go about it. And it wasn't easy because I had to do a ton of prep. Like I basically had less than a month in which I had to read eight scripts, make my notes, do tech scouts, uh, coordinate with other departments, give the production requirements for expendables, and find my sound crew. All in a month? All less than a month, yeah. (laughs) And yeah, the biggest challenge for me above all of this was to put together my sound gear from scratch in less than two weeks because I decided to buy an entirely new kit for the show. So, yeah. <laughs> Just add some more pressure on yourself. Yeah, I know. Don't, <laughs> don't make it any easier. <laughs> but yeah, big shout out to uh, True Audio Toronto, especially Chris Cook and Jeremy, and also Harry Kwan from Quantech for helping me pull this off. And most importantly, my sound crew, Siu Han and Alex Hennessy, who are just phenomenal. Like, I couldn't have done it without them because this was a tough shoot. Like, this is a family drama with a huge ensemble cast. There were always eight to ten people in a scene, long scenes with lots of dialogue, and the costumes weren't easy to wire. Also, like, we were shooting long hours. We had eight episodes to shoot in total, and Each episode was like an hour long, and we had only six and a half days for each of these episodes. So yeah, you can imagine. Wow. I'm I'm glad it all worked out. Like I know the post team is super happy because I recently got feedback from Richard J. Annabel, who's the co-producer and the post-production supervisor on Kings of Napa. And he wrote a mail to me um, praising my work. And... That was another very rewarding moment. That's so nice. I'm so, so happy cool. for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that things have been going pretty well professionally so far. Knock on wood. Do, 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 do. Yeah, that's awesome. So do you find it, because um, you kind of alluded to this, that people might have, have reservations or something about kind of working with someone new. Yeah. Do you find it hard to kind of, I guess, often be the only woman in the sound Department, do you find that that's true, that you're often the only woman? Yeah, you know, um, talking about perception, uh, because I'm like, I'm short and and quiet and really introverted, people have their reservations when they meet me for the first time. They don't take me too seriously, but once they see that I know my job and they see that I'm a seasoned professional, they treat me with respect. But we all know that there aren't... uh, many women in sound. And in the coming years, I really hope that more women would join the sound department. And and I do really want to see more female mixers in in the film industry. We have to change this. I think you guys at Sound Girls are doing such an amazing job of promoting women in sound. I really think we need to hear and share each other's stories. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important like to have a conversation because like we're we're working behind the scenes and you know we don't 
often get to hear each other's experiences. So, um, you know, I hope I can make the change by hiring more women in my team, by doing more sound workshops. Like not only do I love conducting workshops, which I've done for IWERT, which is International Association of Women in Radio and Television, I also love attending them, um, like the Berlin Ali Talents Sound Studio Program um, in 2019, which was a great experience for me to connect with uh, sound people um, from different countries. And we all know that sound is a male-dominated industry, so I, I believe I want to constantly keep breaking barriers and pushing my boundaries and break the glass ceiling. Yeah, like break a ton of shit. Break a ton of shit. I, I love work. that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, I guess winding down, because this, this has been really great. This is, um, I'm having a great time talking to you. Um, same here. Same here. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. And your story is like so freaking interesting. Yeah, um, so cool. I guess wondering... Uh, what kind of advice do you have for up-and-comers in the industry, and I guess in particular uh, women who might not see themselves fully represented yet? Um, you know, if there's any advice I can give, it would be to not give up and to never stop learning. Uh, as cliche as it may sound, it is the truth. You've got to keep at it slowly and smartly. Like I took the film school and apprenticeship route. So if you have a mentor, someone to guide you, um, someone you can assist and learn from on the job, I feel like that can make all the difference. Also preparation, you know, preparation is key and it goes a long way. Study your craft well, read the script thoroughly, do tech scouts, know your gear in and out, keep updating yourself. And keep experimenting, you know, do your homework, believe in your process. Like I can go on and on. <laughs> I love it. Bring all the advice. <laughs> do all of this and, and you'll be good. But above everything else, like don't take yourself too seriously. Take good care of yourself physically, mentally, and emotionally. And don't forget to live life and have fun. And if you have like other passion projects, try to find time for those. Like for me, it's making music and writing songs and, you know, I produce dance pop. I love it. Um, <laughs> and swimming. So like if you keep it fresh, it will keep you sane because the last thing you want to do is to get burnt out. And if you don't like what you're doing, it'll just become a huge drag and you'll start hating everything and everyone. <laughs> and, you know, underneath those headphones, you'll just become like a, a really bitter and cynical person, and you don't want that, do you? So might. I might want that. No, he's <laughs> <laughs> like maybe. Maybe I'll become cynical. <laughs> so yeah, those are just my two cents and my words of wisdom. Uh, Shaw, you're very inspiring, and I'm just in awe of you. So thank you for doing what you're doing and keeping Sound Girls running. No, thank you so much. Thank, thank you so much. It was. It was a real pleasure, even though like I'm not much of a talker. Um, it, it was really amazing for me to share whatever I could. 
And I hope it helps. Even if it helps even one person, I'll be super happy. Um, and if anyone wants to reach out, uh, my Instagram handle is where is Shalini? My, and my email is uh, where is Shalini at gmail.com. So yeah, you know, you can reach out to me with whatever, anything. That's so nice. Awesome. So nice. I'm friending you right now. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, follow. One, two, three. Let's go. Your, your Instagram is going to yeah. blow up, girl. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to go viral right now. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Sound Girls podcast. Our mission is to create a community for women in audio and music production, providing the tools, knowledge, and support to further their careers. Check out soundgirls.org for more information. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. Be sure to check out what our friends in the podcasting community have in store for you at audiopodcast.org.